listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Sometimes one of the most powerful things we can do in our practice is to let sound guide the work we're doing on the cushion or on the chair or wherever we might be. Really listening. In this case, I'm reveling in the, the uh, crickets. Chirp of the crickets. Brings back this memory um, that... Uh, one of the earlier memories I have was when I was around three and a half. Um, I had a fever, and there were crickets outside my uh, uh, window. This is in La Cañada, California. And uh, they I remember I was kind of in one of those spacey places, you know, when you have a fever, you're kind of in that weird kind of, you kind of hallucinate, not really sure what's going on, whatever. And I was definitely in that space. And as the crickets were going, I remember seeing this shadow light or whatever on the wall of my room and just freaking out. It's like, this is not okay. And so I really, you know, let it all hang out and, uh, you know, mom, of course, came rushing. What's the matter, honey? I'm like, crickets. You know, and she's like, what? The crick- crickets are very small. I'm like, nuh-uh. They're big yellow amorphic blobs that show up on the wall when you're having a fever. You know, anyway, she, uh, she kind of calmed me down and so forth. And then the next day showed me what crickets looked like. And I was like, oh. And then we went to a museum, as I remember it. Um, and we saw crickets and so forth. I'm like, oh, that's what a cricket is? Oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. And this is really kind of what our spiritual work is about. We are convinced that the illusion is real. We are convinced that our circumstantial life, or in other words, the circumstance, circumstances that arise in life, they are what are real. And it's not until we are usually guided into this place uh, from our fear into a certain fearlessness because we suddenly have been apprised of more information, more depth, the story becomes more complete. I remember this was also true, it may have been for several of you in here, when it came to matters of the heart. As a young person, it was something I was desperately afraid of, desperately afraid of being vulnerable. Instead, I wanted to be kind of in control. And uh, anybody who's had a successful relationship, you know how well that works. You know, well, I will be in control of this. It's like, I will manage my heart. Um, which is the grand delusion of the ego. The ego thinks that it can kind of take over. And it always fails. This isn't to say that we should just go, you know, in an undiscerning way into the dance of, of love. We should be very discerning. There are certain people who are not good for us. There are certain people who are great 
for us. There's certain people that are kind of in between. Those people that are in between, usually those dances are pretty powerful, pretty cool. Okay. Nonetheless, when we begin to allow ourselves to be kind of exposed to deeper truths, especially through meditation, especially as a stillness practice begins to kind of take over, all sorts of stuff comes crashing down and comes surging up. And where they meet, that clash, the opening that's offered there is something quite beautiful if we're there to receive it. And what we start to recognize is that that opening and that crash is always around us. That every single situation can lead us into the heart of an awakened truth. That we can begin to see that all things, all things lead us to awakening. Everything, everything, everything is the path. Once we trust this, once we begin to kind of trust the universe, this beautiful thing happens. We begin to trust ourselves. And when we trust ourselves, it's really easy to trust others. A non-trusting self always looks at the world as threatening. A non-trusting self sees anybody and everybody as a potential threat. I'll trust a little bit. Mm-mm. Right? Trust a little bit here, but yeah, mm-mm. Mm-mm. And as a result, that person who's kind of in that, that, uh, that purgatory of semi-trust all the time is also in a place of suffering. There's nothing that's complete. Everything's kind of dangling. And so what this work offers us is a chance to meet the universe, or more appropriately said, we let the universe meet itself through us in ways that allow for us to begin to adjust and alter our notions of what we've always thought was true. The container of Sangha gives us a kind of a a little safety net also. Because Sangha allows us to kind of test it out on each other, ourselves, the teacher, you know, the person who's been doing this maybe a little longer, maybe a little more extensively, has had some insights, okay? We can kind of check in with them, the teaching itself, begin to trust the teaching. Everything begins to be a reflection of this trust. This trust that we are all mystically and miraculously a part of a giant whole. And yet we are also somehow in this body. That there is individual and that there is collective all at once. My sense is that there is some type of wildlife behind me right now. Is there a deer? Deer. Yeah, hey, dear. 
It's beautiful. Beautiful. Did you hear it's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. So, making ourselves truly available. Letting ourselves become intimate with our fear. Letting ourselves become intimate. In other words, dancing completely and fully with our experience can't help but shift us. It can't help it. Sometimes that shift is really scary. You know? I can't go back. Talked about that last week. You're right, you can't. You can't. But then again, you can never go back. Can anybody in this room, has anybody figured out how to go back to yesterday? <laughs> yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. <laughs> now, it looks as if they're here to stay. Oh, I believe. And yesterday. Poor Paul. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that song, it's all about pain. Yeah, it's all about pain. There's nothing wrong with pain. It's just pain. Or it's really pain, you know. And what this, what this work again and again and again and again uh, points out is that there's more. There's more to the story. Yes, it's pain. But it's just pain. Yes. It's a rich, thick, juicy, enlightenment experience. But it's just a rich, thick, juicy, enlightenment experience. Right there, that was the cosmic shrug. <laughs> and so being available, being available totally, really sincerely available totally to your life as it shows up, Acting passionately, creatively, spontaneously in your life also is key. But doing it in a way that makes the give and take of the universe's flow at the core of what it is that you do, you know, makes a major difference in the lives of everyone you touch, especially your own. So we're going to explore this, this idea of an awakened and trusting heart. Okay. In the meantime, enjoy the crickets <laughs> and the deer. <laughs> So again, in relationship to the mind of absolute trust, this whole idea of trusting the universe fully, uh, we look at uh, Kanchi Sosan's translation, the translation of his, of his work here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to go tear it apart piece by piece to hopefully reconfigure it or allow you to reconfigure it for yourself in a way only you can do.
okay? One of the things about uh, uh, scripture, especially spiritual scripture, what makes it so powerful, in my view at least, is that it allows for us to bring ourselves to it, right? And um, if we look at it as some type of law, um, we're blowing it. And if we look at it as something ridiculous, we're also blowing it. There's something here and also something not here. If we can get into that middle space, it ought to be kind of cool for us. So just uh, follow along as I read. Or if you feel like it, you can just let it wash over you. I'll, I'll do the reading for you. Okay. The great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion, and everything will be perfectly clear. When you cling to a hairbreadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. If you want to realize the truth, don't be for or against. The struggle between good and evil is the primal disease of the mind. Not grasping the deeper meaning, you just trouble your mind's serenity. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. But because you select and reject, you can't perceive its true nature. Don't get entangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. Be at peace in the oneness of things, and all errors will disappear by themselves. If you don't live the Tao, you fall into assertion or denial. Asserting that the world is real, you are blind to its deeper reality. Denying that the world is real, you are blind to the selflessness of all things. The more you think about these matters, the farther you are from the truth. Step aside from all thinking, and there is nowhere you can't go. Returning to the root, you find the meaning. Chasing appearances, you lose their source. At the moment of profound insight, you transcend both appearance and emptiness. Don't keep searching for the truth. Just let go of your opinions. For the mind in harmony with the Tao, all selfishness disappears. With not even a trace of self-doubt, you can trust the universe completely. All at once you are free with nothing left to hold on to. All is empty, brilliant, perfect in its own being. In the world of things as they are, there is no self, no non-self. If you want to describe its essence, the best you can say is not to. In this not to, nothing is separate, and nothing in the world is excluded. The enlightened of all times and places have entered into this truth. In it there is no gain or loss. One instant is 10,000 years. There is no here, no there. Infinity is right before your eyes. The tiny is as large as the vast. When objective boundaries have vanished, the vast is as small as the tiny when you don't have external limits. Being is an aspect of non-being. Non-being is no different from being. Until you understand this truth, you won't see anything clearly. One is all. All are one. When you realize this, what reason for holiness or wisdom? The mind of absolute trust is beyond all thought, all striving, is perfectly at peace. For in it, there is no yesterday, no today, no tomorrow. My hope is that 
you have heard most of this before from me. It's just really helpful sometimes when you hear somebody from the 7th century say it. Because then suddenly, Slappy up front here has a little bit of, you know, credibility or something. It's, it's really neat. Because uh, <laughs> I know most of you can just walk out here really easily and say, whatever, you know, just kind of take off. But there is this thread, this through line to this teaching that I think, you know, we can hearken back to the tradition every once in a while to just kind of pull from it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, this, there's some neat stuff here, okay? So let me take off here just a little bit, okay? And then I want to see if there are some questions that, uh, that kind of uh, uh, arise. Stop me if there are, okay? Stop me. We'll start with the great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. As long as you don't have preferences, you're set. Right? Every one of us has preferences. And for us to reject our preferences takes us just as far from the great way. Okay? Preferences, the really cool thing about them is that preferences lead us, if we can follow them, to our attachments. Attachments, we can really study. We can really begin to work on those. The preference, I will always prefer chocolate over vanilla. Sorry. Okay? But I also love both. All right? There's a preference. What's my attachment? Pleasure. Hmm. If I'm bound by pleasure... If I'm always only seeking pleasure, I'm half a human. All right? Yeah, if you're always just seeking pleasure, you're bound by your desires and you're just kicked around by life. Let go of longing and aversion and everything will be perfectly clear. Easier said than done, perhaps. But the things we long for, the things we long for, if we let them govern us, again, we begin to die slow, painful deaths. Same thing if we're busy avoiding. It's something we know we need to face, yet we don't. If, in fact, we can live by that simple credo, face everything and avoid nothing, we're on the path. Test it. Watch yourself. What are you avoiding? When you cling to a hair breadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. In other words, when we are in that space of, well, you know, uh, I, I like this, I don't like this, this is good, this is bad, black, white. When we are in that space, okay, what happens is we're no longer available to the whole. We see everything as two this or that, as opposed to not to. It's all one with different flavors. It's not to. It's not not to. And the mind flips on that one. It's like, okay, what? I don't get it. Yet this is at the core of what we're talking about. Can we begin to actually accept and bask in the not knowing. 
can we begin to recognize that someone's truth, someone's truth might be absolutely opposed and in opposition to ours, and yet they're not wrong? That's a trick. Okay. Yeah, I saw your hand up. Please. So, the things that were attached to, what was jumping up in meditation were things that I thought were resolved. Mm-hmm. All over the place, as far back as to like three years old also, six years ago. Uh-huh. All this stuff kept coming up that you thought you'd put away. I thought was surrendered. Right. And here they have, were, my head was seeing all these memories. Mm-hmm. And so obviously there is still attachment there. Maybe. Or is it a visit? Either way, you don't have to attach to it. True. Either way, it's an offering. Either way, it's the universe saying, hey, let go of this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, again. Again. <laughs> right? Mm. So at every step. I didn't feel the stickiness that I felt in the past. Well, that's good. Now let go of that. Let go of that. <laughs> okay? Otherwise, you, th- you, you begin to create that deviation. Mm-hmm. You begin to create, ah, I am making progress, which is fine. But that, talk about sticky. Mm-hmm. Because then what happens when you don't make progress? Mm-hmm. What happens when you actually, I'm going to use a Christian term, what happens when you're a backslider? <laughs> right? What happens when you, when you start falling? Well, the simple remedy to that is get up. Mm-hmm. And that takes some work. Mm-hmm. That might mean we have to really double down on our, our practice. It might mean we have to, uh, or, or we're served deeply by retreat. Or, you know, make sense? Yes, and what was very interesting, because I was in the backyard about an hour ago reading your, your book for the third time again. My book for the third, third time? time? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it changes every time I read it. Good. Good. Or am I changed? Good. Or is it both? Good. Go. Yeah. But what... what kept coming up in meditation when I was observing was the question you asked in the book and said to try, which was, where is the stillness now? Mm -hmm. And that was interesting to observe in observing, jumping all over years. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. There's stillness at the core of all of that, including this, this question. Mm-hmm. It's never not here. Yeah. Right? Moving on a little bit here. Um, but it is really cool to read and reread how it just, it's really fun. Now, okay. Now make sure you let go of that. <laughs> okay? You like, do. Buy more copies. <laughs> <laughs> Give them, of doing yeah, right, right. <laughs> they make perfect Hanukkah and Christmas gifts. It's a little early, but just plan ahead. <laughs> we designed the book to fit perfectly into most standard stockings <laughs> and Halloween bags. <laughs> 
The struggle between good, this, this one usually fries people. The struggle between good and evil is the primal disease of the mind. Most people are hell-bent on justice when justice can come from and reflect their version of truth. If not, it's unjust, right? And what we're talking about here is not that there is no such thing as justice, but that it can be deeply relative in its expression and its experience. And so to be able to have distance from that to a certain extent allows for us to be able to participate with good and evil in really constructive ways. What happens to good and evil is they both begin to dissolve a little bit. We might look at good and change its definition. Good is more conscious. Evil, less conscious. Does this mean people who are less conscious you should beat on? No, because then their unconsciousness diminishes your own. This is why the real big rule here in this work is do not do harm. I sometimes think of it as I, as I, you know, look at my daughters, you know. They don't have the same awareness of their awareness as mom and dad do. You can't punish them for that. <laughs> this morning, Maeve grabs a purse. It was like a, the best purse snatch I've ever seen. She's running down the hall saying, excited, excited, excited. <laughs> and she grabs this purse that Cade had and just kept running, excited, excited. And Cade took off after her. Like, you know, the, the image I had in my head was $6 million man, Lee Majors, as he's running like, you know, 60 miles an hour. She goes and she tackles Maeve on the carpet. And like, this expression of physicality just does not happen. I'm like, whoa, stop you two. And they both are on the ground. They're crying and yelling and everything. Now, you get mad because you want to separate them, but you want to separate them because of their unconsciousness. Mine. No, mine. Mine. No, right? And, and when you see humanity in that space, there is a tendency to shun it. Or we can parent as consciously as possible. And sometimes neither side will hear, neither side can even hope to hear. But can we? Can we hear? Can we hear a higher valence in our voice, a higher, a higher resonance, and allow that to express, be expressed? That's when we become helpful. That's when we're not doing harm. If we get caught in it, we're part of the war. So rather than it being about good and evil, let it be about what is, and then responding appropriately to what is, whether it's good or evil. No grasping the deeper meaning, you just trouble your mind's serenity. Excuse me, not grasping the deeper meaning. You just trouble your mind's serenity, which is kind of what I was just talking about there. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. Surprise, you lack nothing. 
you lack nothing. They say, well, I don't have an IQ of 194. Who is it that really cares about that? Ego. When it comes right down to it, you lack nothing. You lack nothing necessary for awakening. I lack the talent and skill to be first violin in any symphony anywhere in the country. Okay? I will never, ever be a professional baseball player. I lack that. Okay? So you could say on that level, yeah, every one of us lacks certain skills, certain gifts, certain talents, let's say. But really, you do not lack anything necessary to live an amazing life. No matter how sick you might be, no matter how much loss you have experienced, you still got it. That's sometimes hard to hear. But it's also deeply inspiring. And this is one of my favorite lines. Do not get entangled in the world. Don't lose yourself in emptiness. When we think that the way to, the, to nirvana, you know, the, the awakening that we're all gunning for is really just to be able to rest in emptiness, uh, okay? The minute we make that mistake, the minute we start clinging to non-clinging, we're in a world of hurt. This is like saying, hey man, everything's temporary, so nothing matters. Oh, really? What a mistake. Attaching to not attaching is still attaching. And it diminishes what non-attachment can show us. It diminishes what emptiness can begin to uh, uh, do for us. And that's goofy. Emptiness doesn't really do anything. But our meeting emptiness, our realization of emptiness allows for all sorts of beautiful things to kind of occur. So rather than not getting entangled by the world and getting entangled by emptiness, or rather than getting, you know, mixed up in that way in any capacity, can we just let go of all of it? I love that story you tell in the book when you did that, when the teacher said to you. Oh, man. Yeah, that was that was a real trip. Uh, I would, just to, for those of you who haven't uh, read Awaken This Life, by the way, it's on sale at uh, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was this space when it just everything, um, the samadhi or the state that I was in, was so. Uh, I don't I don't have words, but it was weird, because I would still, I was still part participating in the world I would still eat my food but it was like it was like unlike any high I'd ever had okay which is kind of silly because I haven't been that high that often I'm not unfortunately I can't really equate it to all sorts of wild drug experiences or anything like that but it was it for just days and uh yeah my my teacher called me in and I guess he knew (laughs) 
he could see it in my face or something, you know. But he called me on it. It was very interesting. He said, you can't stay there. You can't stay here. Mm. What? And it was like that. I was no longer there. You know, he saw through me. That's a good teacher's job. Um, let me kind of talked about not to, and I want to give you guys some time for Q&A. I want to touch on the last the last two little micro stanzas here. Actually, I'll go up a little bit. One is all, all are one. In other words, there is one and there are also many. Both are true. The problem is we tend to believe one or the other and cling to it. Don't. All right? That's what's being uh, talked about here. When you realize this, what reason for holiness or wisdom? Why? Because it's all holy. <laughs> it's all holy. Give me one thing that isn't holy. The great Zen story of the master who goes outside from the zendo and starts urinating on the Buddha statue. And the, uh, the monk says, what the heck? Master, you can't do that. That statue is holy. And the master, midstream, <laughs> says, what is not holy? And the monk achieved enlightenment. Urinary enlightenment. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. The mind of absolute trust is beyond all thought, all striving, is perfectly at peace, for in it there is no yesterday, no today, no tomorrow. It's the witnessing awareness that arises out of the now, the present moment. That is a spacious mind. Or as one writer put it, a big sky mind. Clouds come by, but they're temporary. Rain comes, but the sun still shines above those clouds. We are that. That is who we are at our core. And there's no fear there. When there's no fear in that mind of absolute trust, when there is no fear, imagine how your life might be. Imagine how your life might be if you knew you couldn't fail. Yes, sir. All this clinging that we do, this not letting go, is that primarily the ego? It's getting in the way. Actually, it's the ego doing its job. Clinging and, and, and uh, clinging, greed and aversion, that's the ego's wheelhouse. That's, that's what she does or what he does. It's all things that we know that we want to let go of, mm -hmm. knowing it and being capable of doing it. Well, that's because the knowing mind is the same mind that's doing the clinging. 
So where we go is we begin to observe the mind that is clinging. The observation of the clinging is never diminished or hooked by the clinging. Sometimes we can get pulled back in and so forth, but really what we're talking about here is this, is this, this mind of absolute trust that just can watch. It's the seer. Catching yourself. Yeah, it actually sees the catching of the self. By, by watching, this, by seeing what's going on, by, by watching the self get caught and pulled, hooked, yeah. okay, that watcher is never hooked. That watcher is watching the ego destroy itself. But that's the ego's job because then it's employed, okay? If the ego had nothing to worry about, if the ego had no fear, if the ego had nothing to defend against, if the ego had no past and no future to either worry about or feel pain in relationship to, it would be unemployed, out of work. So it can guarantee its job security by creating and generating suffering. That's its job. Watch it do that. The watcher, over time, with practice, and this is why we meditate, the watcher begins to become a broader opening, a deeper subject that can look at the ego and all of its activity as a smaller object. That's where freedom lies for each of us. Easy. <laughs> yeah. It seems like um, everything in the world is constantly a game of black and white. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're inundated by it. We are inundated by black and white. We're inundated by, the, by opposites. Because egos, collective and individual, see the world that way, must see the world that way. The neat thing is, if I could just add, the neat thing is that right now, the net is in some respects allowing for us to undermine that tendency. And, the internet? The, yes, okay. undermine it and simultaneously reinforce it. Okay, so in other words, what the net, what the internet has allowed for us to do, this great connectivity, has allowed for the teachings of awakening to disperse unlike ever before in human history. More people are popping now than ever have, okay? More sanghas like this one are showing up in ways that they never have before. And yet we still have the Taliban. We still have fundamentalism in all manner, whether it's religious ideology, political ideology, ethnic ideology, whatever it is. I'm right, you're wrong has become even more entrenched, okay? Which means that for any of us on this path, um, there should be a sense of urgency. There should be a sense of urgency. We've got this time. Take it seriously. Don't mess around. Sit still. 
shut up and sit still. I should have said. Yeah. Are there, when it talks about good and evil, are there purely evil things? They're purely, I would, I tend not to use the word evil. Okay. Uh, only because I look at it as being un, uh, unconsciousness. And yes, there is unconsciousness at play in the world right now as we speak. You know? But there always has been. There always will be. So, to use Dr. King's advice, light eradicates the darkness. More darkness doesn't do a bit of good. Shine the light. Let your light shine. And you do that by shutting up and sitting still. As odd as that sounds. I mean, one of the most generous things you could ever give to humanity is shutting up and sitting still. Whether you're doing it in a formal meditation or you're actually in the world. You're in line at the post office. You're at the DMV. That's a great place for practice, actually. Department of Motor Vehicles. I'm sorry, sir, you're in the wrong line. No, you're in the wrong line! You know, at that moment, it's just, I am in the perfect line for awakening. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, clerk. Yes. I don't think I even let you ask a question there, did I, Mark? Yeah. I did? I think you answered it. Excellent. <laughs> Stealth answer. <laughs> yeah. Question yes, about uh, this moment where you, you get to a point where you realize you've faced a huge disappointment, a dream that did not come true. Mm -hmm. You're becoming more in a place of watching and unattaching. Mm -hmm. And the suffering is diminishing. Mm -hmm. And then it's like it's supposed to be this way. You're almost glad it happened. Mm -hmm. You're in a, a different place. And uh, you wonder what all that suffering was about. <laughs> you know, it was the dream you had. It so tell me, happen. what was all that suffering about? You wanted it to happen. Who did? The ego. The ego wants wanted. its way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And isn't it amazing when the ego doesn't get its way, the beauty that arises? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And so what happens is we, we're able to see through these stories that the ego authors as being false and inherently diminished to what's pot potentially there, what's, what's available, which is why whenever disaster strikes... There is, in some strange way, I mean, we can call it, you know, the silver lining, which, you know, or whatever you want to call it, but there is, in a strange, a strange way, a potential for an amazing shift that carries us and others into an entirely new spaciousness, if we have the courage. If we have the courage. Because the tendency is to contract. Yeah, I mean, it takes time. It takes stillness. It doesn't take time. Oh, it takes keep watching. It takes, it takes presence. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah, be present. It does not take time. 
I mean, we could do that. We could, we could just wait for healing to occur, or we could heal. And the way we heal is recognizing that, oh, this is perfect. There was no injury. There was merely a disappointment. Circumstances did not coalesce in a way that they were supposed to, damn it. Right? And oddly enough, that little slap right there is a wake-up call and waking up in and of itself if we're available to it. Yeah. Now, having said this, any of us in this room, myself included, who, you know, we face disasters. We face hell, you know? Our work, our practice is to bring presence into that hell. Feel the burn. Right? Feel the burn. But don't get caught by the burn. Do not run away from the burn. Because what's being, what's being burned away is what we don't need. The same applies when we feel the cool, the soothing. Don't run away. Don't run away. But don't beg for more. Right? That's balance. Yeah. Equanimity. Yeah. It's such a fine line between when I meditate sometimes and something comes to my mind and I say, okay, I'm not going to resist it, I'm not going to reject it. And I get caught. Am I rejecting too much? Am I resisting too much? You know, I don't want it to reject it. At the same time, I don't want to kind of indulge on my mind. And I get caught where to stop. <laughs> then w what I would recommend is if you are having problems in your sitting, am I indulging or am I, am I denying or rejecting? What I would do is instead, instead of making a judgment of the judgment, I would just say in, as, you are, as, you are, as you become aware of the mind activity that's going on, say, oh, mind activity, mm -hmm. right? Or thinking, ha, 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 thinking, ooh, thinking, right? Just with, uh, it's a discriminating awareness, but it's not, it doesn't have a value judgment. I let it go, just. Yeah, it, but, but this is not letting go. This is letting go. <laughs> or, right? That's letting go. Letting go is opening. Letting go is allowing. Okay? It's not, it's not throwing. It's not dismissing. We make that mistake all the time. We think letting go is rejecting. You know, especially in relationship. I've let go of her. <laughs> right? Mm -mm. That's not letting go. No, letting go is, I love you so much. Right? Yeah. Thank you. I love you so much. Did you have a question? Oh, Dennis, did you have a question? I did. I, I've been okay. struggling with a little bit. 
Like to go off of what she was just saying, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I find myself thinking and I'm stilling everything, I'm concentrating on the breath and stuff, the question always comes up, who's thinking? Who's thinking? Who, yeah. Who is it that's doing the thinking? I keep trying to step back all the time. Mm -hmm. Who's that? Who's me? Who's I? That's a really good question. Who is it? There's no answer to that. This is where I start. Uh, This part right here, it said, the more you think about these matters, the farther you get from the truth. Step aside from all thinking, and there is nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. I am really experiencing that. That there's nowhere to go, is there, Dennis? Yeah, nowhere to go. Right, so where are you going to go? I'm, I'm getting caught between these thoughts uh-huh. and who I am seems to be more of an experience. Uh-huh. And like sometimes when we have the Dharma talks after I finish meditating, it almost seems like a, a hindrance to me. It's like What does it? The thinking about it, the mm-hmm. talking about it seems to be taking me further away from what I'm trying to Right. Where I'm trying to go. Right. And then sometimes I realize that where I'm trying to go is not a path. Where you're trying to go is right here. Yeah. You can't go there. It's hard to stay there. Right. You can't... Oh, oh, you're never not there. Okay? But it gets obfuscated. It gets covered. It gets veiled. Yeah. Continually when time arises in our awareness. You're right. It's a dance. It is. So keep dancing. All right? Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing to understand. This is why I, I mean, in kind of a glib way, I always say, I have nothing to teach you. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Because you are nothing. Except Dennis. Okay? So, and it's not to diminish Dennis at all, but when we get to the core of who Dennis is, we get to the core of who every single person on the planet is. You are space. You are a series of relationships. Okay? And those series of relationships coalesce into something more or less that we can kind of count on as being Dennis. It's how you look. It's how you act. It's the way you laugh. You know, all those things. On the one hand. And on the other hand, you and everybody else here is an expression of infinite possibility all the time. Right? And so trying to get it takes us away. This is why I equate it so often with just taking Dixie cup of Dharma water after Dixie cup of Dharma water and pretty soon you start, it starts soaking you. But it takes a while. It takes stillness. Stillness is what gets you soaked. It's just a continued practicing the stillness. Huh? It's practicing the stillness. And it's also being practicing the stillness in the midst of what is busy. Oh, yeah. All the time. And what that does is it brings us home to what we've always been as opposed to what we want to be, right? Mm. And guess what? What we've always been, more often than not, is what you've always wanted to be. You just didn't know it. It's a great life. It's a great life. (laughs) I still love all of you. I still love you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.